Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash W-A-N-T-P-O-W-E-R. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubel, MD, episode number 113. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Hey, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. How's it going? Now, today I brought on just one of my favorite, favorite clients. She's, I mean, they're all my, you're all my favorites. I mean, for real, it's true. But Melissa in particular is just someone who is really extra fun and special because she's such an open book. She just loves to tell everything and bear her soul. And that makes her a really good interview, right? (laughs) Because we want to know all the details. So she lost 57 pounds working with me in one of my weight loss for doctors only groups. And so I wanted her to share her story and her perspective in going through that process, how she decided that joining the group was for her and how she conducted herself in a way that gave her these amazing results. But then also she recently had some plastic surgery to kind of just maybe modify things just a little bit. And I wanted her to share story of how she came to the conclusion that doing some plastic surgery was the right thing for her. I think so many of us think about it, contemplate it, and just aren't sure, maybe don't know anybody to talk to about it. And I thought this would be very, very useful to some of you. Now, I'm not someone who's saying you should definitely go do plastic surgery. And I'm not saying you definitely shouldn't, because of course, I could never possibly know what's the right thing for you. But I think it is really important that you get your head in the right place before you decide to do anything like plastic surgery. And so Melissa really shares her story and how she went through that process and what she thinks now. I do just want to give you a little bit of a heads up 
that Melissa sometimes likes to use a little bit of colorful language. And so if that's something that might offend you, it's certainly nothing that's very dramatic, but if it might offend you or you don't want your children to hear it, then just make sure that they're not listening. Maybe put in some earbuds or don't play this in the car when they're with you. So, <laughs> so just so you've been warned. Please enjoy this interview with Melissa Parsons. I know that you're going to grow to love her just as I have. Have a great week and I'll see you soon. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Katrina. I am so excited to have you here. I think you're excited too. Oh my goodness. Yeah, nervous sighted. <laughs> As you know, I'm a very scary person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be grilling you. Very afraid. <laughs> we're just going to have a nice conversation about your journey. And we're going to talk then about how you've recently just had some skin surgery. And that's something everybody wants to know about. So we'll get to that. But first, I want you to just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we'll get into your story with being overweight and the challenges that you had. Okay, perfect. So my name's Melissa. I am a wife. I'm a mom of two teenage boys and I am a pediatrician. I've been practicing since 2002 and I live in Ohio. Awesome. All Actually, right. I have to give a shout out to my weight loss for doctors only January 2018 group because they're all very excited that I'm going to be on the podcast. Say hi, everybody. We miss you. Badasses. That's right. All right. So tell us your story with weight. Like, when did this okay. start? Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. Let's start from the beginning. So, I would say I have never been a naturally thin person. I have always been somebody who has struggled with her weight and yo-yoed and all that kind of good stuff. I would say, you know, even as a young kiddo, I mean, I definitely come more from my dad's side of the family in terms of body shape and habitus and being short. I've, my BMI has always been perfect if I was like 5'7 instead of 5'2, <laughs> um, but short of having leg lengthening surgery, that wasn't really an option for me. I have a, a younger sister who has always been a naturally thin person. So there's kind of always been this, you know, I was the short, smart, stubby one, and she was the lithe, tall, also smart one. <laughs> And just, you know, that type of thing growing up. And then I would say I got pretty thin when I was in, just before going to med school after college, unbeknownst to me, I was taking Ma Huang, which I didn't know had amphetamine in it. Oh, <laughs> so I was, taking, I was on a weight loss regimen and I was like, this is amazing. I'm never hungry. And then realized, oh shoot, this is not healthy for me. So I stopped that obviously, as soon as I realized what I was taking. And then I would say definitely after having the two boys and having C-sections and breastfeeding and all that up until about maybe a year and well, let's say like 15 months ago, I was blaming about 60 pounds on my 13 year old. <laughs> it's like, this is my baby weight. My exactly. baby's 13. <laughs> and most people who know me would never really think that I had that much weight to lose. I carried it all very apple, you know, very much in my breasts and my torso and my belly and my booty. And, you know, to look at me, I was definitely, you could tell I was overweight, but 
people who know that I've lost 57 pounds are like, oh my God, where did you have that to lose from? I had something similar. People were shocked. I mean, even when I was pregnant, like it just, I have such a long torso that people were just like, how could you have lost 55 pounds? Like literally, where did that come from? I'm like, oh, it was there. Trust me. Trust me. I have the photos to prove it or the non-photos because I was (laughs) getting the photos because I didn't want anybody to have any evidence that I was that overweight. It's like, if you don't see yourself in the picture, then maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. Oh yeah. And I definitely had that body dysmorphism where I thought I looked a hell of a lot better than I did. And then I would see pictures or God forbid video of myself. And I'd be like, Oh, who is that? And then I'm like, Oh shit, that's me. Right. (laughs) And you know, I've done every, you know, I've done Weight Watchers multiple times. I tried to go it alone and, you know, I would always lose weight and then, you know, very quickly gain it back. You know, as soon as I went back to my normal quote unquote way of eating, I have Did you identify had, as an emotional eater. Did you realize that you had that kind of issue? Yes, I would say so. You know, for me, honestly, what I would say is I couldn't figure out why I couldn't reach this goal because as a type A goal-oriented person who wanted to be a perfectionist, which I now thankfully due to mind work realize has no value in my life. Called being a high achiever. Exactly. (laughs) I'm I'm setting a bar of excellence. That's (laughs) in order to be great. But I, I just couldn't figure out. I'm like, every other goal in my life, I have set the goal, I have achieved it or exceeded it. Like, why can I not do this? Like, I just didn't understand it. But, but I would say, obviously, finding your podcast, and then listening to Dr. Fung's book and reading the obesity code. I'm like, Oh, my God, okay. I had the science wrong, first of all, and I felt bad too, because I had been telling parents how to feed their kids wrong incorrectly and all that kind of good stuff. Which is and, super hard because I had a lot of guilt around that too, especially oh, yeah. because you're following the AAP's guidelines, right? Exactly. which are going hand in hand with what we now know doesn't work. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I made my own handout once I figured it out. It's, you know, Dr. Parsons rules for healthy eating in 2018 and beyond. So I give it to anybody who will listen to me and who will, you know, who's interested. I don't, you know, give it to people who don't ask, but now it's become quite obvious that I've lost a bunch of weight. And it's funny, I have this group of parents who are naturally thin and they're afraid to say anything because they don't want me to think that I thought that they thought that I was fat before. (laughs) And then I have the group of moms who have obviously, and dads too, who have struggled with their weight. And like, as soon as I walk in the door, they're like, girl, what have you been doing? (laughs) So I tease the thin moms once they finally do ask me or say something, I'm like, oh, I'm like, you're falling into my stereotype of the naturally thin people. <laughs> and then I had this one lovely Indian dad who said, Dr. Parsons, what happened? You used to be so chubby and charming. And I, oh my God. I said, I wish your wife was here right now because she would have a slapped you upside bed. <laughs> I would have laughed. I said, but I hope I'm still charming. I'm just no longer chubby. Right. Um, but he was so cute. But you know, it's it's been it's been interesting. 
I'm sorry. I like went off on a tangent on you. No, that's completely, no, like that's great. I really do want to address that because so many people have actually asked me about that. Like, what am I supposed to do? And not just pediatricians yeah, or internists or family medicine or for whatever reason, people yeah. are asking them for dietary advice and they're like, what should I do? And, right. you know, of course I can't know what they should do, but it's really something to think about, right? Like when, you know, I always say like the medical community getting them to change their opinions on things is like turning a cruise ship around. It's not a right. speedboat. So in the meantime, while we're waiting, yeah, what do we do? Do we just right. go against what's recommended? Do we not? And I think that ultimately has to just come down to your comfort level. Right. But I think once you have changed the way you're eating and you're getting these results and people are noticing and asking you, right, it feels kind of against your own integrity to tell them like, yeah, just drink all that skim milk. And, you know, (laughs) so, so let's go back though, to when you decided you you found out about the podcast, like what kind of resonated? Where were you in your mind at that point? It was Christmas 2017. And I had been using, we were home with our families and I love you families. I know you're going to be listening to this, but on Christmas Eve, I realized that I had, you know, drank way too much champagne all by myself, eaten way too much food. And then on Christmas day, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, you know, had all this amazing food and alcohol and all that. And I had actually gotten my nieces a karaoke machine for Christmas and my sister and brother-in-law and my husband and I were up late into the night karaokeing, singing to <laughs> heart. And, you know, I thought I looked and sounded a hell of a lot better than I did um, watching the video evidence the next day. And I had heard about your podcast through Physicians Moms Group. I had seen it, you know, just you know, those little things that come in as a whisper and then a little bit of a nudge and then like a blaring, like you must start listening to this. So we were driving back from Cleveland to our hometown on the 27th of December and the boys decided to go with their dad and the dog in their car. So I was by myself. So I started binging on listening to the podcast and Honestly, Katrina, I was like, how did this woman get into my brain? You know, I mean, just listening to you talk and, you know, obviously being pediatricians and we had a lot in common and being moms and we both have physicians who are husbands who are physicians rather. And I was like, oh my God, it's like you were speaking directly to me. And so I just made the decision right then and there that I was going to listen to the podcast and read the obesity code and all that kind of good stuff. And you were what do you think? Just to interrupt you for a second. What do you think was like the missing piece? Like you'd been doing all the other stuff, the Weight Watchers and trying to lose all this weight. Like when you, was it really just recognizing like, wait, there's this other component that I've never addressed? This oh yeah. The mental- thought work for sure. Yeah. yeah. The mental component, the fact that you know, we eat to celebrate, we eat when we're sad, we eat when we're frustrated, we eat when we're mad at people, and it never ever solves the problem. And then I would say too, the early episodes, like talking about the hunger scale, like, I would never ever pay attention to, let me go back, I would say I was somebody who was definitely a sugar burner, I was hangry, like every three hours, Yeah, I would eat breakfast before work at like 730. By 10.30, I was like, oh my God, when is lunch? 
Like I'm never going to make it another hour and a half or two hours until I can get back to the break room. And so I would have a snack and, you know, so I was just like, and, you know, I have a t-shirt that says, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. (laughs) No, so it's, and my husband would tease me that, you know, if we were in a survival situation, I would eat the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Go hungry myself. And it's so true. I was like, oh, and you better be careful. You look juicy. (laughs) You're going down first. (laughs) So, you know, I I think it was just, I never, ever paid attention. And I would just sit there and mindlessly eat. And, you know, knowing that I had extra meals on my body, you know, and just, just eat and eat and eat. And it tasted so good. And, mm, you know, I mean, it's just so hard though, when you you know, you recognize I have all these extra meals in my body, but I feel like total crap right now. Like the signal my body's giving me is I'm dying. (laughs) If I don't eat soon, I'm going to die or somebody else is going to. (laughs) Exactly. Something really bad is going to happen. I'm not sure what. Right. Exactly. So, okay. So you read the obesity code, you're listening to the podcast Mm -hmm. and what happened from there? You were offering the January group. Oh, so you signed up really pretty. Oh, yeah, within, a, I would say, okay. if I go back through my journals, I would say, yeah, within a week of starting to listen to the podcast, I was just like gung-ho about it. And, you know, I listened to your webinar and my had told my husband that I was going to listen to it before. And it was kind of late and he had to work the next morning. and. So I remember getting to the money part of it and I was like, oh shit, okay, this is an investment that I'm going to be making in myself and that type of thing. Once I had made that investment in myself, I knew at that point, you know, that I was going to be all in and that I was going to do what you told me to do. And, you know, going to like blow it off and just be like, "Eh, I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I had to rearrange my schedule at work, you know, because at that point we were doing webinars, some in the daytime, some in the evening, like some um, of the coaching calls. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The coaching calls. Yeah. And know. I think that's so great though, that you did that because I will definitely find people who are like, Oh, I would love to do that. But like, you know, I've got this going on or that going on, yeah. not recognizing that when you get into a solutions focused place in your brain, you start going, well, how can I figure out how to get to more of these calls? Right. Right. Like there's got to be some solution that, you know, when we think we have zero flexibility, there's always like something in there. Or at least I was on coaching calls from Mexico. I was on coaching calls from Florida, you know, because it coincided with a vacation that John and I had planned in February and then spring break was in there. And then the very last part, I was on vacation during the summer So, I mean, I dedicated myself to it and just decided, you know, that I was going to do it. And when I did my coaching group, which cost way, 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 way more, I I was the same way. I mean, I was literally on like a service trip in the Dominican Republic with my son. Yeah. I found like the one little corner that had Wi-Fi and got (laughs) (laughs) I think it even like, you know, I was like could only be on like 30 minutes or something before it cut out. But it was like it was like a touch point, you know. It was like, oh, but I'm here, I'm still committed, I'm still doing this. I'm not blowing this off. Yeah. 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 I love that you did that. That's so great. And I would say, you know, having this is the first time I've ever lost weight and kept it off. So I really know that, you know, the mind work and the, the way that I've been eating and that type of thing, 
And then obviously still listening to your podcast every Tuesday. And after I got through all of yours, I started listening to Brooke and, you know, so, you know, having all of that just kind of there as a reminder, kind of constantly, you know, that, and then I've been doing my thought work every day. I'm on, I, on, I think day number 68 today, when I complete my thought work of doing it every day, which has been huge for me. Just, yeah. What kind of changes have you, have you noticed from doing that, committing to that? Oh my goodness. I would say just, it's so much better to get the stuff out of my head and onto paper and that type of thing. If for no other reason than to not have it kind of jumbling around in my head and that type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I we would... think we can just do it in our heads. Yeah. No, I'm like, no, I'm pretty aware of what I'm thinking, but it's so much more powerful, right? When you write it yeah. out and then you can actually look at it. Yeah. Are you physically handwrite it out or you do it on the computer? Oh, yes. I physically handwrite it out. And it's been interesting because I've been going back every once in a while and looking at my thought work from this time last year and how much it has changed and how much it has stayed the same. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So but, what were the other issues? Because so often we really just think like it was just the food. I just like food oh, too yeah. much. I need to stop eating. But there were other things that were going on for you oh, that drove you to overeat, right? Yeah, and so yeah. we had to spend a lot of time coaching on that Yes, for you to have success, this level of success that you're having with the right, right, right. loss being ongoing. So yeah, I would say the biggest one was my need for perfectionism, which again, I said, not useful to me. Was and, it hard to give that up though? Oh, yes. Right? A lot of us are like, oh, but I, I, I still am holding out hope that I might do amazingly well if I just yeah. still. Yeah, no, I mean, perfection. I would say that definitely it has been passed down to me through the generations and has, you know, my ancestors whom I love dearly and who I can love and honor without keeping on the perfectionist train you know, they have been very successful people. So I saw that and I was like, okay, these people are getting success from having this attitude and that type of thing. And so, you know, why can I not also? And I mean, I would say that it has served me well. I mean, obviously I've become a successful person in my life, but just mentally and emotionally getting rid of the need for it and just striving for excellence instead has been huge. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I, just, it's stopping thinking that, you know, there's, there's some perfection that you are still going to be, you know, going after and like, and then you'll be finally good enough. It's just being like, I'm amazing. I am good enough. I've always yeah. been good enough. And because I'm good enough, I'm going to go kick some ass and do an excellent level of work. Yeah, That's yeah. much more likely to actually help you to achieve that right. than going like, oh, but you know, I'm still not enough or like right. I, some, somehow better that I could be doing. And it's interesting how you mentioned that, you know, generations of your family had that mindset too, because you probably were raised with this just right from the beginning, whereas some right. of us kind of just figure it out on our own or right, it's kind right, of who right. we are. So yeah, for you, I think it's just even deeper in terms of having to do the work to just see every little corner that it was in in your life and un undo that, let it go. Exactly. Yep. Let it go. And just know that, you know, sometimes when, for me, at least when the perfection was the goal and I knew at the outset that it wasn't achievable, sometimes it would stop me from even trying something yeah. new or, you know, so I would say just being more fearless and, you know, being able to step into things that I wouldn't have necessarily tried before, you know, has really been helpful. Yeah, definitely. So then you worked on the perfectionism. What mm -hmm. else? 
I would say the other thing is that I am a recovering control freak. Control enthusiast. (laughs) We like to call it. So trying to control my husband, trying to control my children, trying to control my patients, the people that I work with, you know, that type of thing. So really getting rid of that and realizing that I have no control. The only person I have control over is me. That has been really, really huge, I would say. And when we think that we're it's so such a good idea to control all these other people. What we're doing is a terrible job of controlling ourselves. Absolutely. Right? So the one person that we can control, we're just like not focusing on that at all. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, definitely. And then I would say too, just realizing for me in terms of my boys that, you know, they're going to be great no matter what I do, as long as I am there for them, I give them love, I give them opportunities. The parts that you can control, right? But like what they do with that, it's their yeah, life. Totally I was just exactly. coaching coaching clients about that last night. Yeah. And it's it's like, everyone's like, I feel like they're like, that sounds great. Like I, I, my heart tells me that's the right thing. But like, my brain is like, hold up here, sister. What? Yeah. No, you know, that's yeah, not, yeah, right. Yeah. not right. Yeah, realizing that I do not hold the puppet strings has been, has been great. It's been huge. Yeah. So what would you say, now, having gone through the program with me, what would you say were like a couple key takeaways that it's like, ooh, once I got that, it made just a huge shift, a huge difference for me? I would say definitely the science of insulin and cortisol and all that, because I was a big, heavy, like weightlifter and hit workouter and that type of thing prior thinking that I was doing the right thing and now realizing not. So I would say that I've switched over to doing mostly yoga. And hopefully I think once I get back down to where I want to be healing wise, which we'll get to, and then weight loss wise, I definitely will go back to toning my muscles with weightlifting because I realize that it's probably good for me in terms of my bone health and my cardiovascular health and all that. Which is totally different than doing it because you're trying to lose weight or trying to manage the overeating that you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Try to make up for the ice cream that I ate the night before. Never done that. Mm -mm. (laughs) So that I would say, and then definitely just the daily thought work and getting my thoughts out onto paper. And then I would say just the sticking with it in terms of listening to the podcasts and, you know, keeping on. You know, like just watching all the, like looking at all the coaching, asking for coaching. You were someone who asked for coaching all of the time. Oh yeah. I was not asked for, it. you know, asked for coaching on live calls. Like you were just, you just kept showing up for yourself mm-hmm, Absolutely, that I noticed now, yeah. not to say that that is exactly how it has to be. Those people who have great results who are, you know, just listening to things and reading right. things and aren't necessarily asking for coaching as much. Mm-hmm. Everybody's needs are different, but that's one thing that I noticed was you were like, even when it was hard and even when you kind of weren't getting it and you were struggling, you're like, I'm still here. I'm still showing up. I'm still here. And maybe, you know, that's like the good part of that perfectionism where it's like, no, but I won't quit. Like I'm here. I'm still going to yes. this. And that's what's required. Like where you mess up and you make mistakes and you don't get it and you feel like you probably should get it, but you don't yet. And you're right. still there and you're still showing up and asking for clarification and just right. working everything. Yeah. yeah, I think you said something to me about this is like learning to walk when you're a baby, you know, you 
crawl and then you cruise and then you toddle and then you run, you know, if at any one stage you were like, eh, I'm good. Like you you don't have a baby who tries to take the first steps and falls. You're like, well, they're done. Guess they're never going to walk. You know, it's like, uh, no, but we have different beliefs about it. Right. Like we, we have these beliefs, like, because I've quote unquote failed before, which is just code for, I quit trying to wait, you know, in the past, like I'm not going to be able to do it now. And, you know, sometimes we get into a thing too, where we're like, well, let me just like fail ahead of time so I can get the failing that feels so bad over with. So maybe I'll just like quit now. So I can just, because I, because I believe it's going to be coming versus just going like, I understand brain that you keep thinking that based on past results, this is what's going to happen. But right. it's also possible that I could create something new. And the yeah. only way I'll know that is by not quitting. <laughs> you right. have to. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The amount of times I've said to my brain, oh, that's cute brain. Yes. Right. <laughs> nice Interesting one. Okay. <laughs> see where you're going with that. Nice try, but not today. Not today. <laughs> So let's talk about your surgery then. So you had gotten to a point where you were kind of like, okay, I am ready for a little tune up. And I would say that, you know, a lot of people don't do this. Yeah. You decided you wanted to. And so I want, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about that because people are so interested in it. Right. So worried. What if I have all this excess skin and what am I going to do and all of that? So I would just love for you to talk about what your thoughts were going into it all and what your experience has been like. So. What I would say is I was very happy after I had gotten rid of 57 pounds. And I say gotten rid of instead of lost because loss implies that I'm looking for it. Yeah, right. You released (laughs) them into the universe. (laughs) I was very happy with how I looked in my clothing and that type of thing. But I was not happy with how I looked in bathing suits and naked, certainly, and you know, I was like, I have put in all this work and I have honored my body and, you know, by, you know, treating it well and doing my yoga and feeding it fuel and letting it get off all these excess meals. So I was like, I want to enjoy how I look in my own skin. So I had to do a lot of thought work around loving myself but also wanting to better myself. And I had right. re- not doing not doing it out of sense of like, ooh, I'm disgusting. I'm going to get yeah. the surgery. Then I can finally feel good about myself. Exactly. And I reached out to you for coaching about this. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, and what I would say is I did a lot of thought downloads and a lot of, you know, kind of mind searching and mind bending and that type of thing to try to come to the conclusion that I could still do this and still love myself 100%. So I did that before I even went to see my plastic surgeon for a consult. And she's amazing. Her name is Roxanne Growey. And she and her staff are wonderful and, you know, make you feel like you're amazing no matter what. And, you know, she gave me options. And what I decided to do was get a full abdominoplasty because I had definitely a small diastasis rectus, and I had kind of a shelf where my C-section scar was, you know, tied down to my abdominal wall. And then I had, you know, all this extra loose skin above. Especially Um, because you carried your weight so centrally that you did have more of that abdominal skin. Exactly. And then my breasts, I have always had huge breasts since fourth grade. Thank you, Robert's Thurman clan. (laughs) 
those are my ancestors on my dad's side. I have always had larger breasts and that type of thing. And then after breastfeeding the boys and after gaining and losing weight so many times, you know, I could put them into a bra and make them look great in a sweater. But, you know, as soon as the bra came off, I was like, oh my Lord, okay, this is what we have. Empty tube socks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I liken them to being, my friend gave me this visual of it looking like the car wash, like <laughs> green flaps that kind of flap down when you're at the car wash. But thank you for that visual. So yes, Dr. Growley suggested that I get a reduction and a lift and then a small implant in order to make my breast look how they did when I had them in the bra. Yeah. So we did that a couple weeks ago now and She has a recovery house where you can go and stay for as many days as you want to after your operation. And I did that. It was amazing. I would suggest that anybody who was considering... They have something like that. That's super cool. It was amazing. Yes, there were wonderful women there who took care of me. Sandra and Dawn were my angels. And I would say, you know, my hubby definitely could have taken care of me after surgery and he would have happily done that for me, but I didn't want him to have to. So I decided to stay there for five days afterward, which was the best decision I think I have made in the past couple of weeks, (laughs) just because I I don't do very well with anesthesia. I tend to get very nauseated and that type of thing. So I would say, and I told you this already, but the first 24 hours after the surgery, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I feel terrible. And it wasn't pain, it was just nausea. And anytime I had to get up to use the restroom or whatever, Sandra was there and she helped me and talked me through just not getting sick. And Zofran helped me as well. (laughs) And obviously my pain medication helped me too. But after that, I would say there hasn't been pain. It's been more just feeling tight. The first five days afterward, I would say it was hard for me to stand fully upright I could, but it it was uncomfortable just because everything was stretched and, you know, everything felt tight, but I would definitely do it over and over again, you know, for the results that I've gotten so far. And I'm still quite swollen because it was just two weeks ago and that type of thing. But I would say that I would do it again and again from what I can see so far. (laughs) That's awesome. I, I, I just think that's great. And I, you know, it's never something that I you know, encourage people to do or discourage people to do. I think it's so individual for each person. Right. But I just think that if you're doing it for the right reasons, then you can't go wrong. And that's right. I think what's what's happened. Well, and I would say too, the other thing that I did a lot of thought work about beforehand was I made the decision that no matter what happened, I was going to love my results. So yeah. I just made that decision from the outset. And you know, Dr. Growie said, you know, she tries to get everybody very symmetrical and that type of thing. And she's, of course, said, you know, perfection is not attainable for me or any other plastic surgeon. You know, she's like, I get as close as I possibly can. And I do everything that I possibly can to try to make it so that everything looks perfect. But I told her, well, guess what? Excellence is the goal, not perfection. <laughs> so, I, and when you tell yourself, I'm going to love it, then you're looking at the parts you love instead of going, oh, but there's this tiny pucker here and there's this this thing there. It's like right. you get to decide what lens mm-hmm. you want to look through when right. you're right. what your opinion is of what happened, which is Absolutely. so great and so empowering, right? It's like right. 
you can, no matter what, you can have a great experience of this. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Yay. Well, thank you for sharing that with everybody yeah. because I think people are always wondering and, you know, it just kind of want to ask, but don't know what to say or don't know right. someone or they're not open about it or whatever. So I really right. appreciate coming on. And talking. Well, I have no problem sharing because I would say that, you know, just I have learned so much and I have grown so much from other people sharing their experiences on the podcast or, you know, in the coaching group, right? I mean, just learning from all the other women was so helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am willing and if I'm able to talk about stuff, I'm happy to do it. And I just want to help as many people as I possibly can. So awesome. So as parting words, what would you say to somebody who's considering, you know, joining one of the groups and just like, I don't know, is it really worth it? How is it really different? Like, what would your response be to someone with those thoughts? I would say that for me personally, compared to what I got out of it, it was a very small investment to make in myself. And I would say that you definitely will get out of it what you put into it, as with anything in life and that type of thing. I would say, you know, obviously you want to make the decision beforehand that you're that you're all in. For me, that was definitely something that helped me to show up and to make time for it and all that kind of good stuff. But I would say if you're at all on the fence, you know, go for it. Make the investment in yourself and you know, my only thing is I'm 45. I wish that you had been in existence (laughs) when I was 35. I mean, I know that you weren't. It's all working out perfectly. (laughs) You maybe weren't ready at 35, right? It would not have landed. Exactly. It's true. And I wouldn't have been ready for it. And everything happens exactly as it should, because that's how it happened. Right. And now you're at a place in your life, you're not chasing around little kids where you can focus on this and, you know, things like that. And then there are people who are chasing around little kids and they're like, this is exactly what I need because they are 35, right? And they're like, yay, woohoo. (laughs) I hit the jackpot. (laughs) Great. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your whole experience. I appreciate it so much. And I know so many of my listeners will appreciate everything you said as well. Yeah, no problem. I love you and I'm happy to do it. I love you too. (laughs) Thank you. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to katrinaubelmd.com and click on free resources. 